Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Launch command has been issued. Booster ignition. And liftoff. We have liftoff of Let's Nick Haig and Christina Cook now on their way to the International Space Station. On March 14th, 2019, astronaut Christina Cook traveled to a place where very few have gone before. Christina Cook of NASA, the first one through the hatch, being greeted by her crewmates aboard the International Space Station. Christina spent 328 days in space. That's about 11 months in total. And it was a record-breaking mission in many ways. That was the longest single space flight by a woman. And she completed the first all-woman spacewalk. Christina Cook, your record holder. She is out, thumbs up, and a huge smile. But when Christina made it back to Earth in February 2020, a lot here was about to change. And then, of course, going into the pandemic, it almost just felt like a prolonged second part of my mission. Earlier this season, I talked to Christina about how her time in space and the pandemic altered her perception of time. To be honest, I've always been captivated by space travel, so I was over the moon to be talking with a real-life astronaut. So on today's show... I wanted to share even more of our conversation, some of the most interesting bits that didn't make it into the earlier episode. And in light of Women's History Month, I thought now would be the perfect time to celebrate all that Christina has accomplished and to hear a little bit more about her personal story. So get ready to take another journey to space and back. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent, and it's time to start chasing life. You've done something that I've always wanted to do, which is go to space. I just, I find it so interesting. I've often thought about when I was younger, I I used to think of the brain as a universe and just all these different places to explore within the brain. And that took me to neurosurgery. I became interested in, in the brain, I think, you know, like around 12 or 13 years old. But what about for you? When did the fascination with this begin for you? Mm, I don't remember a time when I didn't want to be an astronaut. I think I was that kid that wanted to be an astronaut from a young age that just never grew out of it and kind of kept pursuing it. So I think around 12 is also when it really solidified for me. And I think some of that was around doing a family trip to Kennedy Space Center um, at that age and just seeing it all in front of me. And that same fascination that I had had for actually things that made me feel small when I was little. I loved looking at the night sky. I loved looking at the ocean and anything that made me ponder the size of the universe and our place in it was fascinating to me. We prepare a lot in the operating room for operations, you know, and it's just, it's very methodical. And yet we are at best trying to inject certainty into an uncertain situation. I mean, there's always things that can surprise you. Every human being is different. When you are thinking about a mission, you know, you can prepare 
as much as you can. But how much do you worry about just the inherent dangers of this sort of work? Interestingly, we don't spend a lot of time worrying about the dangers, especially in the moment when we're doing something. There is a saying that astronauts are the calmest people on launch day, and it's absolutely true. And I think it's because of our training and because probably similar to the operating table, you've learned all the contingencies that could happen. You've learned how to handle them. And you really do have a sense of preparation. And also, I think the the thing that drives you through that is... Um, a sense that you're you're now ready to actually do the mission, to give back, to take and put all of that training to work. And so that allows you to focus and to channel anything that might have been worry or stress into focus on your job. And so that kind of reframing of stress or fear into focus is something that I think we all get good at. And that's why we really do feel calm on launch day. I'm so fascinated by the sort of life you've led. and But I do think there's some parallels. You know, we do seven years of, of training in neurosurgery and 85% of that, maybe roughly, is, is basically in complication avoidance. 15% is the actual technicality of, of actually performing the procedures. Very important, no doubt. But, and most of the time things go just fine. But in that few percent of time that something is unusual or, or doesn't go the way you'd expect, you have to have a dozen or so strategies to be able to deal with that. So I, I imagine there's a lot of similarities there. Absolutely. It's interesting to train for something, like you said, 85 or more percent of the time that you hope to never have to use. Right. We have an entire abort launch escape system that the engineers that design it would love it if it never actually gets used. But yet it has to be perfect. It has to work. It has to meet specs. And they have to be sure that it will work right if it ever is needed. And um, we often say that the best spacewalk or the best launch or you know the best dynamic event is the most boring one because... <laughs> Much unlike the sims that we do, the simulation events that are full of things going wrong and full of us responding to them, we really hope that on the real day, it's boring and you don't have to put any of that to work. You get all these genius engineers who are creating things that they hope never need to get used, exactly. which, is, which is amazing. What was your daily schedule uh, at the International Space Station? I'm wondering if you can just talk me through a day in the life. Every day was very different, but I think the most interesting thing about our days was that they are scheduled down to the five-minute increment. Wow. And so to live for 11 months um, with that kind of regimentation almost every single day is a really interesting concept. But those days are filled with a variety of things. Um, a lot of times it's maintenance to keep the space station upgraded and working in working order, you know, fixing things that break and upgrading with new equipment. And more often it's science. And that's the whole reason we have a space station, doing science that we can't do on Earth. And then other things that, you know, just keep the lights on, like having our cargo vehicles arrive, our cargo spaceships. And we oftentimes have to use the robotic arm to capture a cargo vehicle and then it docks. And then we're doing all of the operations to move the stowage off and on board and get the, get the waste products out and get the new stuff in. So it's just like running a little city up there. I mean, the missions range from fixing a toilet to investigating the subatomic particles of the universe. I mean, you really that cover is... the range of things. 100% correct. And both things could both happen before lunch on any given day. <laughs> Coming up after the break, we're going to hear more about Christina's extraordinary life in space and also the next frontier of space exploration. But first, I want your help with something. One of our next episodes is about social anxiety. 
If this is something you've ever struggled with or overcome, we'd love to hear your story. So record a voice memo and email it to asksanjay at cnn.com or give us a call at 470-396-0832 and leave a message. And now back to Chasing Life and more of my conversation with astronaut Christina Cook. You knew you were going to be going up for a long trip, right? I mean, that was all sort of determined ahead of time. How did you mentally prepare for that, the idea that you're going to be gone for so long? You know, I think that knowing that my mission was going to likely be an extended mission, it was just a matter of relying on the people that have done extended missions in the past and reaching out to them and kind of getting their tips and what they thought about the process but also just reframing in my mind an expectation level. I'm a runner, so I often relate things back to long-distance running. And we have a saying in long-duration space flight that it's a marathon, not a sprint. So in my mind, I just changed it to it's an ultra-marathon, not a marathon. And that analogy kind of helped me to understand how I needed to pace myself and also how I needed to think about the mission. I wasn't going to go in on day one and start counting down. And I made sure to let the people around me know that I would probably need help at some point, that I would probably, you know, rely on them for different things and that it might not be easy every single day. You mentioned that you talked to people who had done long space flights and been on the space station for long periods of time, but were there tips that you got? Yes. I was very fortunate that both Peggy Whitson and Scott Kelly were kind enough to talk to me and they were, you know, senior astronauts that have both done extended missions. And, you know, Peggy was really great about making sure to tell me that Everyone is motivated by different things. Some people are actually motivated by staying really, really busy. And some people are motivated by having a little bit of downtime to look forward to. And, you know, Scott reminded me that it's important to pace yourself, that and it's important to work with the ground teams on what you need to build in to recharge. But one of the most interesting interactions that I had was actually after I got back, he very kindly reached out and um, wanted to just have dinner and talk about what it meant to live in space for a year. And I realized, wow, I'm the only other person he can talk to about this. And he's the only other person I can talk to about this. And, you know, we had a great dinner. And towards the end of the dinner, he just turned to me and he said, did it feel long? And I said, yeah, it did. (laughs) (laughs) That is fascinating. As you can tell, I'm just fascinated by all aspects of this. Is is there a purpose to these extended space missions? I mean, is this is this fundamentally about Mars? It is. You can take advantage of someone being in space for a long time by the human research projects that you do. So I participated in hundreds of research projects, many of them that were actually studying myself. In fact, I'm still doing research and still doing um, instances of testing for some of those projects just to test space results and versus a baseline on Earth. And so what we're looking at is the physical changes in your body. Towards the end of my mission, I got to a point where I could no longer say, oh yeah, everyone's done this, everything's going to be fine. I was actually had to say, well, I really am kind of charting new ground. We don't necessarily know <laughs> how a female body reacts to spaceflight after 10 months. We don't necessarily know if your cardiovascular system is able to recover after your heart hasn't pumped against gravity for 11 months. 
there's still an element of the unknown. And I think answering those questions bring us, brings us closer to understanding how we would design a mission to Mars. How short or long does it need to be hmm. to really be successful? And um, the physical and, and, and psychological aspects of a long-duration mission are a big part of that. By the way, physically, you know, I, I did talk to Scott Kelly uh, as well when he came back, and it was kind of funny. There was all this that was made of the fact that he was a little taller, Scott, when he came back, because no gravity allows your, your vertebrae to expand a bit. How about for you? Were there physical differences that you needed to sort of get used to when you came back? How long did that take? I found that I was able to learn to walk again in just a couple minutes to in a couple hours, that kind of a thing. But then for the first two weeks, I had a little bit of a dizziness at all times. So even when I was just talking to someone, it was it was difficult to concentrate because in my mind, I was just spinning a little bit and a little unsure. But the reason they say that you have trouble walking and have trouble with your balance is that you know, all the sensory organs that tell you where, how you're oriented are basically just putting out gobbledygook when you don't have gravity to, you know, do the inner ear things that are normally, that we normally have on earth, your brain stops listening to those organs. And so when you come back to earth, your brain has to relearn that it can listen to those signals again, that they can rely on those signals again. I would, for example, be standing up and be perfectly balanced because I could see. And as soon as I close my eyes, I would topple over because that was all my body was relying on. They actually did studies on me and measured when my brain started listening to my inner ear and my other sensory organs for balance. And then, of course, going into the pandemic, just the re-socialization took a really long time. I'm still working on that one, um, as you might imagine. Only, only interacting with 11 people, 11 other humans for 11 months definitely changes your ability to, you know, those social skills that I think everyone everyone went through, especially at the end of our stay-at-home time. <laughs> That's the honest answer, huh? Cause I, I was curious about that as well. For you, when you're up there, because it is such a majestic, in my mind, thing to be aboard the International Space Station, seeing the sun rise multiple times a day, did that ever get old? Or do you, how was that for you? It never gets old. <laughs> looking at the Earth never gets old, and looking at the sunrise or sunset never gets old. And looking out on the universe when you're on the dark half of the earth and a night pass is also just absolutely stunning. I think because up there especially, it represents connection mm. and it represents everything we know in the whole world. You know, even though I've never spent 11 months in space, I do feel like I just learned a lot talking to Christina Cook and hearing how she made it through that extended mission. I think that advice about building in time to recharge is something we could all use, no matter what. I also liked hearing about how Christina copes with anxiety about the unknown, about the uncertainty, and how she reframes her fear by focusing on the task at hand. Control what you can. That's a really important point. I feel like talking with Christina recharged my own curiosity and my own excitement about what we can achieve when we push the limits. You've heard me talk a lot, for example, about the turbocharged development of COVID-19 vaccines and what an astounding scientific accomplishment that was. But the reason I keep telling you that story is because it just goes to show what we're capable of as human beings, as a collective, when we work together toward a common goal. 
Right now, I think this message is more important than ever, as global tensions threaten the partnerships we've built at the International Space Station. Those astronauts up in space and those researchers in the lab are all inspired by the same quest for knowledge and progress. It's incredibly important work, and it only succeeds when we come together. I'd love to hear how this conversation resonated with you. Record your thoughts as a voice memo. Email them to asksanjay at cnn.com or give us a call at 470-396-0832 and leave a message. We might even include them on an upcoming episode of the podcast. We'll be back next Tuesday with an episode all about social media and the brain. Thanks for listening. Chasing Life is a production of CNN Audio. Megan Marcus is executive producer. Zoe Saunders is the senior producer. Our podcast is produced by Jordan Gaspore, Emily Liu, Xavier Lopez, Isuke Samuel, and Grace Walker. Our production assistant is Allison Park. Our intern is Eduardo Ocampo. Our medical writer, Andrea Kane. Tommy Bazarian is our engineer. And a special thanks to Ben Tinker and Amanda Seeley of CNN Health, as well as Ashley Lusk, Rafina Ahmad, and Courtney Coop from CNN Audio. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.